Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Angela? Yes. yes. How do you use your difference to make a difference? It's mm, a great question. I think um, being a Black biracial woman... It is um, my difference that, you know, certainly creates a different lens as to how I approach this work. I consider myself a bridge around conversations. Um, I recognize that I come with both background and privilege and oppression, which, which guides the way that I approach this work. And so I feel like all of those things around my identity, how I grew up, um, like my whole identity is, is diversity, right? My whole identity as, as a core is diverse. I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood in Rogers Park with 60 plus languages spoken. Um, and so all of that just brings a lens to, to my work around how do we, how do we create commonalities, but also value and honor differences, and that's just a very, it's a very human condition, but it's also a huge part of culture work and DEI work. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Angela Howard. Angela is an amazing example of someone who prioritizes humanity and integrity. In a lot of her work, you'll see that as she calls for culture, she's really challenging us to be able to look internally, externally, and then examine how both of those examinations can actually create an impact. A lot of us individually, professionally, and organizationally don't get to do those things. We don't get to be as intentional as we should be. And as a result, we end up hurting people unintentionally or intentionally. And so in a lot of today's conversation, we talk about the psychology of what it means to be DEI-centric, what it means to be able to be human-centered as a workforce and how social responsibility plays a role in that. It's no secret that we're experiencing a lot of culture wars currently. And so my hope is that you use this episode as a guide for you to be able to navigate the culture wars. And also just as a reminder that if you focus on the people you serve in the workforce, you will most likely win than lose. And please, as always, with all my guests, check out the links for ways to connect with them and ways to partner up with them. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. 
Welcome everyone to another episode of As Told by Nomads and today's guest is Angela Howard. Now I've known Angela for a long time online, right? We've we've sort of just crossed <laughs> paths virtually and she's a change maker and expert in workplace culture transformation. As the founder of Call for Culture, she focuses on creating human-centered workplaces that support thriving businesses and empowered employees. Her approach is data-driven and grounded in psychological principles, emphasizing long-term sustainable change. Angela is known for her ability to navigate the intersection of employee personal interests and organizational health, driving impactful outcomes at every level. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, the pleasure is mine. I mean, even <laughs> reading read the bio, there's a unique approach that you have. I want to key in on a few things. You said human-centered. Mm. And I'm curious mm. about why you want to focus on that. What do you think we've gotten away from the workplace? Oh my gosh. What do I start with this? There is so much behind this. So, you know, I think we throw around this idea of human centered, right? Um, I think at, at a meta level, mm-hmm. we are at the cusp, if not at the start of a revolution that we haven't seen since the industrial revolution. So if you think about work paradigms and how they've been developed over time they're at least in this country they're very centered in on the industrial revolution which if you think about that philosophically you're really talking about like machines and optimization and productivity and performance and that's kind of shaped the world of business and the workplace I, i would say you know for the last century I think what we're seeing now is a realization, especially with knowledge workers becoming more prominent, right? Not everything is on an assembly line anymore. Right. We have to actually acknowledge that the human condition is a data point that we have to use in working with human beings. I mean, it's it's really that simple, right? Yeah. And humans are flawed. We are messy. We're not machines. We don't work in widgets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the reason why our approach is so unique is that we use concepts from uh, disciplines like anthropology, psychology, sociology, and neuroscience. These are all just disciplines that actually provide data and research around how humans actually operate individually, but yeah. also in groups and in organized settings. I love that so much. And one of the reasons I resonate with your work is because I think I always approach it as a social scientist and you are as yes, well. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think the core of any social scientist is to study human behavior. And and honestly, I wish people described a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion in that way, because you just explained how we are operating from this industrial revolution basis, <clears throat> even the days of the week and the weekends and the work hours, those things are remnants of periods that we don't live in anymore. And I always think it's so interesting how we pick and choose what we want to evolve past and what (laughs) we stay resistant to. And a lot of what you're Mm -hmm. saying, you know, we are experiencing this revolution, the pandemic opened people's eyes to different possibilities. And now we are in the midst of a culture war, several, Mm, (laughs) where people are taking that ownership. And so is that what was the inspiration behind your company, which is called Call for Culture? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, my background is in organizational psychology. So that is the lens as to what I bring to this work is about behavior at work. Mm. And um, language shapes behavior and behavior shapes how we function from an an organizational perspective. Um, You know, how we act and treat each other, 
um, paradigms and habits and rituals and all these things that kind of make up what we call culture. So, so yes, my, my grounding in psychology really shaped it, but then I became kind of a humble teacher and not a humble teacher, a humble student Mm. to some of these other disciplines that I started to see connecting concepts that really we needed to bring into the work. Uh, Because I think oftentimes we think about culture work, we're thinking about HR process. And that is really self-limiting. I mean, we're not even, we're not even scratching the tip of the iceberg if we're just thinking about this as a people, as a people ops exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's also interesting to be able to understand the motivations behind a lot of these decisions. I I think, yeah, you, you brought philosophy, you brought anthropology. When you think Mm -hmm. about all these things, especially psychology, it's, I often wonder if companies do that deep dive to understand the motivations of the employees they have and the mm. motivations of the business that they're in, right? They, they could be competing, they could be similar, or they there could be gaps that people aren't aware of if it, it's not intentional. 100%. Absolutely. There are some current challenges right now. <laughs> with a culture. few, just a few. <laughs> I, I brought up the culture wars earlier and, and mm. you, you're obviously in the business of culture transformation. Yes. What are those challenges you're seeing business face in, in the midst of these culture shifts that we're experiencing today? Mm, yeah, there there are many. So I think the most prominent one is um, what I would call like a dying of the old and the birthing of a new. Mm. Uh, we have five generations in the workplace right now. And, you know, I'm not generalizing, but, you know, there are there are, there's a different set of values that's emerging, I think with, within generations, but also politically, we have many different value systems, at least in in this country, in the U S now at a global lens to this, where, you know, organizations are, you know, starting to take advantage of globalization and working across, um, borders and things like that and bringing all these people into their organization, but they're not taking a moment to one, even to really understand what their value system is organizationally, um, which is causing just a a little bit of chaos, to be honest, because you're bringing people into the organization who all come with their own value systems, Mm -hmm. their own background, add on the layer of um, global value systems. So even like the US versus another country. And that just creates a uh, a mashup of, of a little bit of chaos and lack of clarity on how to best work together. So I think we're seeing like a lack of intention around culture right. and not being clear mm-hmm. about what it is we're um, passionate about, what we aspire to, what our value system is. And to be honest, a lot of people are lying to themselves about what their value system actually is. I cannot tell you how many times we work with organizations and because we do as a part of our work, we do something called a culture charter. It's basically like a it's a memorialization of your value system. We take we identify your purpose, your um, your values and the behaviors that are examples that would would tell us that these values are happening. And then behaviors that would tell us that these values aren't happening. So we can actually name the issues when we're talking to each other, right? Rather than saying like, oh, Tayo, he's he's not a team player. Like, <laughs> what does that mean? Help me understand what that means. Let's be objective. Mm-hmm. Um, let's not, just not say that because we don't like Tayo. So 
right. So I think the that's one piece. But the other piece is there's a lot of organizations who are being performative about their values. You know, we saw a huge uptick when George Floyd was murdered around inclusion and equity and diversity um, and representation. And all those things are just value systems. Like DEI is a value system that's a part of your operating model that, you know, dictates how you behave, um, what leadership looks like, what decisions you make. And the truth is a lot of those organizations did not have that value system. They were just listing it on their website to make it seem like they did. So that's what I mean by a lot of people have been lying to themselves about what their value system is. I'd rather an organization say, we don't value DEI so that people can opt out or opt in. Yeah. Because that cognitive dissonance is really harmful psychologically. If I'm going into an organization and you've sold me a bill of goods about your value system that actually doesn't match mine, that's where that's where uh, the disconnect happens between employees and employers. It's like a professional gaslighting. At, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. 100%. Oh, you're made to believe something is happening and and then you go in there with that belief and then they tell you it is and you're like, but it isn't. It's not. I don't, and, they're, <laughs> and they're still telling you it is, but they're behaving completely different. And it's right. just complete gaslighting, complete cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. And this is where you get people doing mental cartwheels around mm-hmm. like trying to navigate a system that isn't actually what they think it is. I mean, all these things impact things like performance, creativity, innovation. You can't get the best out of somebody mm-hmm. if they are psychologically trying to navigate something that feels like gaslighting. And yeah. and and that also causes a lack of safety, right? Of um, lack of challenger safety, lack of psychological safety. So yeah, so I think that's I, I know we're kind of going to what are some of the culture wars, but right. I do think, and I'm going to be kind of uh, cynical about this, but I, I see this split of of organizational values. You know, those who kind of um, honor and cherish and are passionate about creating a platform that's human centered and and serves people and the business. And then you have kind of your traditional business, which is like, we are focused on profits and shareholders hmm. and actually employees and, and human capital is just another resource we can expend. I think the the latter is, I, I think the progression of the world and where we're going, there's not a lot, a lot of time for those folks, but I do think there's going to be this split that's yeah. going to happen. Um, because I'm telling you, I mean, I'm a millennial, but I look at like Gen Z and the alpha generation, which is wild. We have a whole other generation that's coming. They're not having it. No, they are. They are not having it. And I'm so proud of them because I feel like (laughs) we set the stage. We weren't, we didn't, we didn't accomplish everything, but they're like Mm. very good at setting boundaries. Very good at being like, Work is one piece of the pie for me. And you need to be providing me an experience that enriches me. And I will do the same for you, employer. But if you're not providing that, I'm gone. I'm done. Yeah. They'll let you know, too. So. Yes. I love them. Well, Auntie Angela loves her Gen Z. (laughs) No, no. I I love the spirit as well. You you brought up something that I I think is really important to hone in on there. It's this this concept of, you know, like we're talking about values here. But I've also noticed, especially with Gen Zs, 
Uh, the impact of social responsibility, I'm just curious from your perspective, how does social responsibility influence employee satisfaction and business success? It, it is becoming more and more prominent and, and more of a driver of things like engagements, um, which is, you know, kind of the kind of a, a general measure that encompasses loyalty, engagement, performance, um, intent to leave, you know, some of those more like productivity productivity performance-based metrics. Yeah. Um, I'll also mention like this other set of metrics, which is like um, things like connection to purpose. Um, people want to work for organizations that care about the same things they do. That's kind of what uh, that value system matching is what this next generation is looking for. They also want to know that if you're a business that has a platform that is taking up space in the world that you should be doing good things for the world essentially mm-hmm. and um there's a um well there's a few i mean a few references for this but deloitte has this generational report they send out every year to say like this is what the the, the merging generation is here are the trends and they care greatly around you know climate change and global issues and they want to see their companies take a stance period and if you're not taking a stance on issues that they care about, that are focused on humanity and, you know, um, fighting forces that are against or are causing oppression for people, um, they're going to speak out and speak up. And if you're on the wrong side of history, they might leave. Yes, and this right. is a this is a new reality for organizations that they're not prepared for. Leaders in a lot of organizations are not contextualized. And what I mean by that is they don't see their role as also understanding what's happening in the world and bringing that into the workplace. That's been separate for so long. Yeah. And so I think we need to also future-proof our leadership to be these kind of organizational system-led leaders to account for this change that's happening. That's right. Because when we grew up and, you know, we're both millennials, it was always don't bring your personal to the workplace. What's happening outside is this. We don't get involved yeah. in politics. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's no secret. There've been quite a few things happening on the global global scale in the last yes. few months. And you know, depending on what where where you are and your identity marker, it it's caused certain schisms, mm-hmm. for lack of a better yes, word, yes. in the workplace. Mm-hmm. It's led to people being out of their jobs yeah, <laughs> in certain yeah. in certain institutions, and mm-hmm. it, it's interesting to see how. It can be used on the uh, on both sides or all the nuanced sides because mm-hmm. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, people can attach narratives to certain things, and then if you don't follow suit, I'm pulling funding. If you don't follow suit, I'm taking. I'm not going to attend. And so, I think a lot of people listening to the podcast are going to be wondering, well, what do I do when I have all those people in my company? It's not just one, right? So how do I cater yep. to this audience and then this audience? But if I do the one, I'm going to be seen as being too wishy washy. And then none of the sides are going to like me. What do you do in that scenario? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, there's no perfect formula for it. Right. I think at the end of the day, people want to be seen, heard and feel valued. Like, I think you have to go to the very human need around the actions. And I think when people have, you know, when there's an uproar about things, it's because people feel like you know, they're being threatened or attacked. And we know as humans, when we feel that way, 
our brains go to the, you know, the, the, the very non-evolved part of our brain that causes us to act out and to, you know, and to, um, reach out in ways that are maybe not as productive or, you know, aren't, um, as cordial or compassionate. And so I would say one is if you are a people leader, understand that you have to, you have to also understand the experiences of your team. Yeah. So if your your team includes, um, you know, obviously you would hope that it's a diverse group, yeah. right? And so when an issue like um, the Hamas um, Israel war is happening, mm-hmm. and you have Jewish people on your team, but you also have people from, you know, Palestine or Lebanon or you know surrounding countries who may have family in Palestine, mm-hmm. uh, I would say conversation and discussion is is golden. I mean, I think a lot of times organizations try to focus on what is the message? What is what is the spin? What is the um the, the perfectly polished message we need to send to everybody? Yeah. And in reality, when you talk about culture, culture is also a groundswell. So, you know, as an organization, yes, there are some top-down things like role modeling that need to happen, but your the reality of your culture is the people who are in it. So talk to the people who are in it and open the discussion and of course have some guardrails around that have some, you know, for lack of a better word, rules of engagement or, um, you know, parameters that we can all speak. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. compassionate in, but allow people to challenge, allow people to express their experiences. There was a YouTube um, video from, I think, Jubilee um, that was posted a few months ago about basically they got people in a room who were pro-Israel and pro-Palestine, and they just hashed it out. They had a conversation, and it was so enlightening and brought humanity to each side Mm -hmm. to understand where people are coming from. And so you have to be skilled at now having these conversations within your workplace too. Jubilee is a great channel for that, by the way. It's a great YouTube channel. It always brings people from opposing viewpoints to be able to, yes. you know, have these discussions. And, you know, whether or not you come away changing your mind, it's at least you get to humanize, which is the big point that you're making. You get to yes. see that. Huh. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. I, I do. I, I'm with you. I wish more companies would work in that humanization aspect. I think a lot of times companies have thought that it was a waste of time. Um, it's not easily measurable. Ironically, you are data driven. So, yes. <laughs> and you you have this psychology uh, background. And so I'm curious, what are these data driven methods that Paul for Culture, your company specializes in, 
Um, Because I have a feeling that you are specialized in measuring what people have deemed unmeasurable in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's, um, well, there's a few things. One is helping the organization understand what they're actually measuring. Because, I mean, I know that doesn't sound very revolutionary, but it's true. You know, as as a traditional organization, you're probably used to measuring the usual KPIs. Um, And so we actually try to do some education around what does it mean to measure culture? Mm -hmm. Um, And some of that's quantitative, some of that's qualitative. And then some of that is a leading indicator, meaning we can get data on it every month, but we have to understand that a lot around culture is lagging. It takes years to change culture. Um, and there's some metrics that people might say are indicators of better culture that I would actually disagree with things like turnover. Um, if you're clear on your culture and you start to create accountability around that, your turnover might actually increase before it decreases. So we try to challenge some like well-known, you know, I don't know, HR metrics that you might say like in the past, traditionally, you may say, oh, that's that's bad or that's good. Um, So we try to do some education around like the scorecard. And then the other thing is we define very clearly the constructs around the value system. So again, behaviorally, if I'm rolling a camera, what am I seeing when we talk about inclusion? What are some behaviors that tell me that we're counter that constructs around inclusion so that we can better name what's happening? Um, But we do use a survey. So we use the constructs that we develop as a part of the culture charter, and we measure that in the survey. But I would say, counter to a lot of data nerds, the survey is less important than the interviews. We also have interviews where we're actually talking to people human to human and understanding their experience. And we bake that into a broader like results presentation, right? Where we're taking these anecdotes, but also connecting it to the data. And that's really, um, I don't know if it's a secret sauce, but I think it's its much better than just doing your like whole surveys or your annual survey, because we're getting a, a really colorful picture of where your culture actually is. And then we compare that to what you're aspiring to in the culture charter. And then we help you develop um, systems, programs, changes in the organization that need to happen for us to close the gap between those two. No, I, I love that because you know it talks about translating data, you know, with existing information, or more importantly, actually asking the right questions, uh, and then using yes. the answers to you know create a fuller picture of what people already have. And I think maybe sometimes people it, have been asking the wrong questions, and then you know build it exactly this and that. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you don't even know what you're looking to measure, I mean, a lot of companies are just they're what they're doing is they're adding on. Yes. They're saying we need a DEI program. We need a culture program. We need a head of diversity. We need a, you know, they're adding on. And in reality, a lot of times what we're seeing is we have to actually dismantle. It's it's not so much adding on the performative surface level stuff. It's like chipping away at the toxicity that is in the system. Um, so a lot of our recommendations actually usually are like, you need to take this away or this person is your source of toxicity. That's a problem. If you're yeah. trying to aspire to this other thing, why aren't you holding this person accountable? Accountability. Really- Sheesh. Accountability. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, a lot of organizations I find are allergic to that, but I, I think that's, that's part of the, mm-hmm. 
the issue, I think if you're not able to be accountable to the problem, then it's really hard to solve it. Right. And I think maybe we get enamored by how we look and we forget that we are serving people who already have an idea of how we look. And so it's like, what do you do in those situations? Uh, but accountability yeah, and I, it is. And I mean, I always say this, but your culture is the worst behavior at your company. Yes. I like that. So if you're, and I, that's not my quote. I don't know where I got that quote from, but it's, it's not originated by me, but I, I use it cause it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And because if you think about your leadership team, let's take, think about your executive leadership team. There's, o- there's always that one person that everyone knows is a problem. You know, they just, and everyone looks at each other and they're like, yeah, Chad's a problem. And of course, his name is Chad. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Chad is a problem and we all know it. And we're completely scurrying under the rug. We're avoiding Chad. We're we're letting, you know, and, and I always equate it to like a garden, right? When you have weeds, that impacts every part of the ecosystem. And so if you are allowing Chad to still be in the organization and you're adding on all of these programs, you're planting more flowers, but the weeds are still there, you're still killing the roots. You're still killing the ecosystem. So just hold Chad accountable. (laughs) And it's, and so a lot of times we end up doing this work and we recently went went through this, um, unfortunately with a client that we had to separate because um, they did not want to, you know, think about the accountability um, around their own leadership. And so we kind of refused and said, you know, our integrity and our ethics around this work does not allow us to sit in front of your team and say, you all are the problem. We need to, we need to fix your behavior first and your leadership because that's the the meat of what's happening. Um, and we're at an impasse. So sometimes we do end up as much as we try to, you know, create really amazing partnerships, which we have a lot of amazing partnerships. There are times where we're at an impasse and we have to actually part ways because the integrity of this work is really important to us. No, I admire that. And I, and I wish many companies were like that because, you know, for some people, obviously it could be like, well, this is a great opportunity. It's going to put uh, more money in our bank account. But I, I think the, to be able to have the privilege to be able to prioritize integrity, I think is a great place to be. And a lot of big organizations who have that privilege to do that, don't do that. And so it mm. becomes this thing that other, even small to mid-sized companies have to model just to stay afloat or stay competitive. Which is a toxic work <laughs> workplace culture that we've uh, perpetuated, unfortunately. And so, yes, huh. mm. with perpetuation on the other side of that is sustainability, right? So, mm-hmm. how do you ensure that sustainability of the changes that you discussed earlier are implemented in organizations? Um, and I can say this as a consultant: one of my biggest fears mm. is always when I leave, uh, and I'm yes. like, oh, gosh, what's 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 gonna happen? <laughs> yes. I oh, when you you can know you know the organizations you work with and you hope for the best, but sometimes you just know. Mm. <laughs> so, so what can what do you think companies can do to ensure that sustainability stays? Yeah, well, I I feel that um, that is that is a a a a tug at me all the time when we're working with clients. So you know our sustainability model is it starts on day one. Um, so when we're working with organizations, 
all we do the first month is we set up governance models Mm -hmm. for the organization. So I think what's underestimated, especially when, um, you know, people are hiring consultants is the, the systems and the structures that reinforce the work. And so we spend, so our first phase is called invitation. So we spend time developing those governance models around stakeholders, around who needs to be involved, ensuring all voices are represented. And that's really important because it really defines the roles long-term for the work. And so we do that on day one. Um, depending on the capability and the capacity of the organization. So I'll give you an example. One organization we're working with right now has a full team of HR business partners, of you know a sponsor who's working with us, um, a culture team, a head of culture. Like they have the capacity, the capability internally to easily for us to hand off the work. And I feel really confident. Another organization is a startup who you know doesn't even have a head of HR, right? So um, depending on the, ca- the capability of the organization, we're coaching people till the very end on yeah. how to sustain the work long-term. So we really, the, the, the model we use is like, we want to work ourselves out of a job and we use the 12 to 18 months that we're with that company to start to, for lack of better words, train them on doing the work without us. So we're not the right consultants to hire when you're looking to hand things off and have us run things. We're not the right partners because we're going to have y'all do the work. Mm-hmm. We're going to help guide you and yeah. facilitate and to provide tools and make sure that you are in a better place, a better place for when we leave. Um, so that's really intentional. And then once we are kind of done with our road mapping, we actually have the company implement and we stay in the orbit for about six more months, but we're only kind of accountability partners or, or, you know, partners to help consult and remove barriers or, you know, provide perspective on what to do next. Um, And then a lot of clients sign back on with us, even after that six months, they'll be like, you know what, I, we still want you in an advisory capacity, but our goal is to be the least amount involved as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, but we we do see kind of this benefit of like having these lifelong partners that we can continue to share insights and research and knowledge as the company evolves, because we really do love to see the evolution of the company too long term. No, that's, that's incredible. And I think it's great that you're so intentional about that. Uh, just the confidence you have in your philosophy and then being that upfront, I think it allows everybody to fit in what they need to. And then yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, And we have, a, um, in addition to our contract, like our legal contract, right, when we sign on together with a partnership, of course, there's something in writing that says this is the work you're doing. We also have something called a social contract. And that social contract is, you know, like very important elements of sustainability that ensure that we can be successful as consultants. Mm-hmm. But they are all, we're also making it clear that they're positioned as, like our goal is to make them them look good, right? We're behind the scenes. They need to do the work. And mm-hmm. we're kind of here as reinforcement to make them look as good as possible um, and continue to coach them on the work versus be the people who are doing the work. Social contract. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I think that that's great. This is good. And, uh, and uh, this is my penultimate question. I always, I love using the word penultimate. Um, mm-hmm. I love it. 
how do you balance personal passions of employees with the overall health of the organization? It's a great question. Um, you know, I think developing a listening model that um, is sustainable and consistent and a little predictable for employees is really important. So understanding where they can safely provide their feedback, I think is a really important part of our model that we hope to implement. I think we also have to realize that, you know, the, the where the work happens is not the team of five at the executive level. Yes. It just isn't, you know, your people are the ones who are getting the work done. And I think as organizations grow, there is this gaping hole that creates to, it's like this crater that begins to form between executives and leadership and the person at the bottom, I'm putting in air quotes here, at the bottom of your org chart. Um, we need to do a better job of bridging those experiences and not allowing our positions to get to our heads in so many words, because I've just seen so, especially during COVID and when, you know, work from home, you know, was like a new thing. I mean, we've been doing it since before it was cool. We've been talking about it, but during COVID I saw executives get on zoom calls and talk about how they were working remotely from Costa Rica and, you know, that, you know, that, you know, their, their wife was at home taking care of the kids and, and I'm just like, and, and they have a group of manufacturing employees some of which who are single moms who are struggling through COVID, some of which are people who haven't been on a vacation ever. And it's like, how can you be so tone deaf and, you know, creating even more space around experiences between, you know, just people who are, who are paid very well and have high positions and someone at the, the bottom of the org chart. And so you just have to realize that the interests of your people and ensuring that your cre your organization, your business is creating an experience that's enriching them is important. And you can only understand what that means unless you talk to your people. Yeah. Um, and, and your people are the ones who are getting results for your company. So you can't avoid it. And so I think the balance between strategically understanding what the business needs mm -hmm. and, and breaking down some old paradigms of what things like productivity looks like, what culture even means. I mean, some some CEOs still think culture means being in an office. Like, I think we have to really just test our bias and our paradigms that we've developed over the years and realize there are multiple ways to get to the same results that can be more human-centered. I love that. That's so brilliant. And that's true. It's just reminding people that people are more productive during different hours, different times, different motivations. And if you're a leader, if you're a people leader, it's your job to be able to find the the moments that your people can actually best, you know, work and not try to force one way into that. And there are multiple reasons, mm -hmm. there are multiple ways to do that. But it doesn't happen 100%. without a conversation or an opportunity to listen. Right. Yeah. Yes. And getting to know people. I, I Just so many leaders take their model of working and they impose it on their people. Right. And we talk about DEI work. Testing those biases is also DEI work. Absolutely. Like this, <laughs> this is how I work. So this is how you should work. Um, and there's so many layers to that, right? Because you could just talk about, you know, where you work and, and why you work and all of that. But um, that is DEI work to be able to create 
space for empathy and understanding other people's experiences mm -hmm. and then hearing people out and focusing on, out on outcomes. Quite honestly, I think there's just not a lot of leaders who are focusing on outcomes not at all. and I, and they're unable to manage to outcomes. So they manage the micro actions leading up to those outcomes, which really creates frustration and barriers to people doing great work and to living the life, the lifestyle that they prefer. Yeah. Yes. So true. Angela Howard <laughs> is the name. Call for Culture <laughs> is the company at its callforculture.com. I'll make sure I put her a link in the show notes and, um, you, you know, her, yes. And everything that she does, LinkedIn, everything uh, will also be accessible in the show notes. But I can't leave you without my final question now. Angela, my final Ooh. question. Yeah. My final question, <laughs> my mission statement reframed as a question. So, Angela. Yes. Yes. How do you use your difference to make a difference? It's mm, a great question. I think um, being a Black biracial woman, uh -huh. it is um, my difference that, you know, certainly creates a different lens as to how I approach this work. I consider myself a bridge around conversations um, I recognize that I come with both background and privilege and oppression, which, which guides the way that I approach this work. And so I feel like all of those things around my identity, how I grew up, um, like my whole identity is, is diversity, right? My whole identity as, as a core is diverse. I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood in Rogers Park with 60 plus languages spoken, um, and so all of that just brings a lens to, to my work around how do we, how do we create commonalities, but also value and honor differences. And that's just a very, it's a very human condition, but it's also a huge part of culture work and DEI work. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real pleasure, a great conversation. So yes. I've had a lot of blast. I've had a blast. <laughs> I, I had a ton of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Kings, queens, and royalty. Till next time, use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.